0: Welcome to Calvary Chapel Evening Service, Sunday Evening Service. This morning we had a slideshow of the Vacation Bible School that we held over in the uh, Housing Development, Alice Hayward Taylor. And so we are going to have follow-up with those children and and just important not to, sometimes with mission stuff, uh, too often... People go somewhere and minister and and someone comes to know the Lord or someone is fed or or someone is uh healed or something and then the sort of missionaries pull out and there 's no one there for follow up there 's no one there to to at least offer some kind of opportunity to develop a relationship and start sort of growing in the Lord and get to know who God is and So if you would like to be a part of that, please contact Sue. Also, we have sign up for the next one. We're having another one in the same place. And so uh, continuing to uh, pray and persevere and uh, really appreciate what the Lord is doing there with the kids over there. And uh, it's the only other thing that... the. The, one of the um, Wednesday night studies uh, during the summer we toned down the schedule a little. The woman's study is no, is not going to be meeting over the summer. It's going to resume in September. The same with uh, the study in Dorchester. So, uh, uh, in any event, okay. So this evening we are in Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles. Before we begin, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the message this morning, Lord, of of just how merciful you are, Lord, to never give up on us, Lord. Your love suffers long, your word says, Lord. You watch as we walk in a life in opposition to you, and you watch and you suffer, even as you love. Your love suffers long for us, and we just thank you for the love of disciplining us and drawing us back, whether as it was this morning, a famine or a plague or whatever circumstances in our life, Lord God, where you get our attention and just pray this evening that if there's anyone here in this room who lord you're trying to draw but they haven't been listening that it would just become abundantly clear how much you love them how much you how much you want their lives now I pray this in jesus name amen chapter twenty six King Uzziah every time i Hear about King Uzziah. I think about Isaiah chapter six. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Then I start singing that song. But you guys probably don't want me to sing that song, do you? Yes, yes, yes. I can you should have you should have sung that tonight. I saw the Lord, and he was high. Uh, but anyway. We got to bring that one back at least once. I know it's an old, uh, old—it's an oldie and a goodie. I mean, if ever there was one, King Uzziah. Now, all the people, chapter twenty-six of Judah took Uzziah, who. Was 16 years old and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. He built Elath and restored it to Judah after the king rested with his fathers. Now, Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all his father Amaziah had done. He sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had an understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. And so here's a, a, a person, who a, a man, a man of God who reigned for 52 years after he uh, became king at 16. So... Someone want to do the math for me? 52 plus 16 is is what? 68. So many people at this time didn't come close to living to 52. He lived to 68, reigned for 52 years. It is hard to um, overemphasize how much effect this can have upon a country, someone reigning for that long who's a good king. Now we've seen our share of bad kings in the Old uh, Testament. And some of them reigned for a long, long time, 40 years. And just what can happen just even in 5 years or 10 years uh, we've seen about how just the country could spiral down in 5 years. And so uh, King Uzziah was a wonderful king. He was a great leader. He was a Great king, he sought the Lord, he loved the Lord, and it says there at the end of verse 5, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. And so, this is truly the single rule of prosperity in a life. As long as you seek the Lord, God will make you prosper obviously not necessarily talking financially there, although that may very well be what happens. But there will be a prosperity in your life where people will see your life, and there'll be fruit, and there'll be, um, you know, there'll, there'll be that the glory to God just by walking with the Lord and, and just the the fruit that comes from a life. And so, you know, you go on and you listen to TV preachers and, They have all kinds of ideas of how to prosper and become rich, and usually they have something to do with uh, sending in a big fat check for their, you know, 25 lessons on how to get rich uh, type of deal. But here, uh, I'm offering tonight for free, what they're offering for whatever, $250, it's and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. And I think I talked uh, last Sunday at night about how corp- corporate corporations, and I've spent a good many years uh, uh, with corporate America, and how they adopt the, some of the principles of the Bible and uh, I believe uh, someone was a brother was telling me this morning that his his c- uh, company, actually a very large one that you all know, uh, has adopted the motto for leadership, servant leadership, and that's going to be what he's going to try to impose upon the uh, the leadership of his company. And you know, we were just talking about that. Th- there's so much attention is being br- in, in corporate America is on how. To make money, if they have to borrow from the Bible, they will, and they often do, and they often see enormous prosperity. Because who invented servant leadership? It was the guy who, right at the Last Supper, uh, took off his outer outer garment and, with um, you you know, uh, he he washed the feet of his disciples. And then he says, "You know, now you see me do this. You do it also. That's servant leadership." The problem is, is that what happens in corporate America, and we'll see also in the life of Uzziah. It's as long as they uh, seek the Lord. And Of course, that doesn't happen with um, in corporate America, and so oftentimes uh, you will see that uh, in a Christian life that um, there's prosperity for a season. Someone stops seeking the Lord, the prosperity, they'll be living off deposits, if you will, for sometimes a number of years, Uh, but the prosperity will end. Of course, I'm talking so much more uh, than about finances. I'm talking about relationships. I'm talking about just fruitfulness uh, in your life. And it says in verse 6, now, he went out and made war against the Philistines and broke down the walls of Gath, the wall of Jabna and the wall of Ashdod, and he built cities around Ashdod and among the Philistines. So he wipes out the Philistines. These are the people, you know, where Goliath came from, and who had just been the nemesis of Israel for so many years. He just goes down there after he's seeking the Lord for a number of years and goes and wipes them out. You know, God is clearly with this man. Verse 7 says, God helped him against the Philistines, against the Arabians who lived in Gurbaal, and against the Mionites, also the Ammonites, brought tribute to Uzziah. His fame spread as far as the entrance of Egypt, for he became exceedingly strong. And Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate. At the Valley Gate and at the corner buttress of the wall, where he fortified them. He also built towers in the desert. He dug many wells, for he had much livestock, both in the lowlands and in the plains. He also had farmers and vine dressers in the mountains and in Carmel, for he loved the soil. So he was a farmer. He was a king, but he liked to get out there and and get dirty. And you just. Uh, really started off with some big-time humility and the Bible says God will oppose the proud and he will exalt the humble it's just a law written in the creation and it certainly applies uh, mostly uh, in the realm of, uh, of Christian leadership or leadership within God's kingdom and and he was a king and he was just prospering because of his humility The total number of chief officers of the mighty men of valor was 2,600, verse 13, and under their authority was an army of 307,500 that made war with mighty power to help the king against the um, enemy. Then Uzziah prepared for them, for the uh, entire uh, army, shields, spears, helmets, body, armor, bows, slings to cast stones, and he made devices. The King James actually says, engines in Jerusalem, invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and large stones, so his fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped till he became strong. And so it says that um, it's, uh, he, he is just getting enormously uh, prospered here, and I just wanted to bring up again the same verse in Isaiah chapter 6. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord and he was high and lifted up. And so it seems that the people were trusting in Uzziah and they weren't seeing the Lord. They didn't see the Lord until when? Until he died and said, and, and, and you know, made himself and, you know, appeared actually to Israel. Says, look, you know, you guys have been looking at Uzziah. He was a man with uh, undoubtedly a lot of charisma. He was very, very prosperous. And actually the Lord took him out of the way eventually. He died. And one of the things that happened there was that so the people could afresh see the Lord in their life. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. So, you know, we were, I think, talking about this too last Sunday night, that, you know, different things and different people can become a Uzziah to us. Your husband, your wife can become your Uzziah. Your friends can become your Uzziah your family members, your church leaders. But you know, God is faithful to make sure something happens so that you'll realize that it's not them. It's the Lord Jesus that you have to cling to. It's the Lord. It's Him. And of course... You know, uh, in the case of Uzziah, he actually died. But, you know, usually that's not the case with um, with other Uzziahs you put in your life. But something will happen. Either, you know, the Lord will, I was talking actually with a sister this morning. She said she had a Uzziah in her life, and the Lord just re- removed her Uzziah just for a few months. And all of a sudden now she's quickly realizing, wow, you know, I really, you know, I was, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm, I really feel like, she, you know, she didn't use the word Uzziah, but there was a Uzziah in my life, and now I realize I, I need to just go by myself to the Lord. And and this is, the, the Lord is faithful to take away our Uzziahs, even if it's for a season. Sometimes, usually, that's actually, that's all that's necessary. So we can see the Lord. And, you know, I did a wedding yesterday, I performed a wedding ceremony, and I spent my time just talking about the importance of understanding that 1 Corinthians 13, probably the most quoted scripture in Christianity, certainly the most quoted scri- scripture uh, in, uh, at weddings. And what does it say? It says, love suffers long. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never fails, and yet people read this at their wedding and over 50% of wed- on theirs is up. Why is that? I mean, there's a profound misunderstanding that those verses are not about those people who, with their warm and fuzzies up in front of the church, you know, going, ga, 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 you know? It's not, it, it doesn't, that, that's, that's a romantic emotional thing, but that th- these verses don't describe the love of a man between a man and a woman—the love between a man and a woman—is uh, sure to break up. And so, if you're sort of relying on that love, the marriage is not going to be able to last. I think of just verse uh, four of th- First Corinthians 13 says, "Love does not envy." Well, what does that mean? Love does not envy. I talked about this when I went through 1 Corinthians 13. It is many times when we see someone prosper, even someone very close to us, we're like, man, I wish that wasn't them, it was me. That promotion, that marriage, that baby they're having, whatever. Jesus never does that. He's never, ever like that. And he is the only one who He loves you in such a way that he never envies, he rejoices when you are blessed. Let me tell you, no matter what you may think of your wife, she doesn't love you like that. Whatever you, what you may think of your husband, he doesn't like you like that. Your parents, they do not love you uh, like that. Love does not parade itself, it's not puffed up. What does that mean? Well, when oftentimes when I try to love someone, and I've shared this again with you before, you know, I do something good uh, to someone, or whatever. They borrow the car. They, uh, you know, they stay at my house, or whatever. Uh, you know, there's a part of me sometimes that wants to parade that love around. I want people to know, and you know, I want you know, let something slip out so someone finds out about it type of deal. Jesus never, ever loves like that, ever. He never parades his love and if you were the only person on the face of the earth, he would love you in the exact same way as, there's five, as if there's five billion um, people and he is the only one who loves like that. Love is not provoked to anger, 1 Corinthians 13 says. Prior to being crucified, Jesus was beaten with a whip made out of four to six leather strands with pieces of glass and metal embedded in the strands. He received at least 39 lashes. Actually, it was probably much more because the Jews were limited to giving 39 lashes. The Romans had no such rule. And so he was beaten with this, this, he was scourged, and, which meant that most of the skin of his back was just completely torn off by the time he uh, got to the cross. After being beaten, he was struck in the head, he was spat on, he was mocked, he was blindfolded. After he was blindfolded, they hit him, the Roman soldiers did, and they said, okay, now prophesy, who hit you? This is Jesus. This is the Son of God. <laughs> and guess what? Through the whole process, he never became angry. Not even once. There's only one person who's going to love you like that. And that's Jesus. The Bible says, your father and mother, they may forsake you, but the Lord will not. And so... God is faithful to show you that you need to put the relationships in your life in proper order. Doesn't mean for a second I don't love being with my wife and depend upon her for prayer and, and, and you know and, and, and this type of thing. But you know, at the point where she starts becoming a substitute for the Lord Himself, rest assured. God is faithful to realign my relationship with my wife to make sure that she's not becoming that substitute. So in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. So God was faithful to remove Uzziah. Then it continues in uh, verse 16. There's a tragic, tragic uh, change here uh, in Uzziah's life you know you and me i'm sure barring something extremely unusual we'll never know what it's like to have this much power as much power as Uzziah had and this much favor and it's 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 hard for any person to really to be able to serve in this way without falling. And so he does here. Pride cometh before the fall, Proverbs says, and this is what happened to Uzziah. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up, meaning that's a biblical expression for which means he became proud, to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So Azariah the priest went in after him and with him were eighty priests of the Lord, valiant men. And they withstood King Uzziah, and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron who are consecrated to burn incense, get out of the sanctuary for you have trespassed, you shall have no honor from the from the Lord God. Then Uzziah became furious. And he had a censer in his hands to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord, besides the incense altar. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and there, on his forehead, he was leprous. So they thrust him out of the place. Indeed, he also uh, hurried to get out, because the Lord had struck him. And King Uzziah was a leper unto the day of his death. He dwelt in an isolated house because he was a leper, for he had been cut off from the house of the Lord. Then Jotham, his son was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. Now, the rest of the acts of Uzziah from first to last, the prophet Isaiah the son of Amos, wrote so Uzziah rested with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers to the field in the field of Barrow, which belonged to the kings, for they said he is a leper then jotham Jotham his son reigned in his place. And so what was his sin? Well, you know, he took on the role of the priest now in the Mosaic law, the law of Moses, which Moses had received from the Lord on Mount Sinai was very 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 specific that only priests could serve in the temple. And, you know, this was a really important thing that was being handed down by the Lord because all these things were a picture of Christ. The priest was a picture of Christ and representing the people. And that's why during that time, um, there was just a specific rule. Only the priest could serve in the temple. And so he thought, he, he said, well, you know, that law applies to everyone else, but it doesn't apply to me. I mean, after all, look how God has prospered me. Look at how strong I am. And you know, this is always or typically what precedes the the fall. This is what, this is what, how pride operates. It's, you get so strong that you just feel, obviously these things don't apply to me. They apply to other people. And so he went in and he was struck with leprosy. Now, Um, There is a reason, well, actually, there's a number of reasons uh, that he, he was struck with leprosy. One, if you remember that from, you know, the book of Numbers where other people tried to approach the altar with incense, there was, prior to Jesus Christ, there was no real plan for a normal person to just come into the presence of God. In fact, even the high priest only went once a year and that was only after many baptisms, many animals were sacrificed in his place, and and that's because of the holiness of God. And you know, one of the things that really struck me as we were going through Leviticus and Numbers, and and just just the holiness of the presence of God that anyone else come into came into that presence, the fire of God came down. It was it really struck me. Wow, this is what Jesus did for me. He actually did everything that was necessary to allow me to come into the presence of God. And so that's one reason he's uh, struck with leprosy here is he's going into the presence of God and and he there's no you know Jesus hadn't died yet and he hadn't he hadn't done what was necessary for a priest to do which is symbolically go through the baptisms which represented the baptism of the Holy or the washing of the Holy Spirit and going through the sort of sacrifices of animals which represented Christ's death on the cross. He was going in to the presence of God and thinking I can do this and how many people in this world think they're just going to go into the presence of God someday and base completely on sort of their own good works I don't need Jesus' blood. I don't need to have faith in him. There are many roads to heaven, and besides, I'm good. And and so they do just what, they're going to die, and and it's going to wind up the same thing. There's going to be judgment because they went in, uh, you know, into the presence of God thinking that they were righteous enough to go to heaven, to be righteous before God. And that's crazy. So that's one of the reasons that um, he's struck with judgment here. The other reason is that there's only one person in the, in the history of the world who could be both a king and a priest, actually, and a prophet. And that was, that was Jesus. And here he's crossing the line, and, and, and the Lord takes those types really seriously. Uh, and so he he's almost blemishing this Old Testament type, which is pointing uh, to Jesus. And he's, he's he's you know there's judgment is certainly uh, to to fo- uh, to follow. And you know there's a uh, you know you can look at this and uh, and, and think to yourself, well, what a horrible thing he's getting uh, he's getting judged here. And we'll actually see. In chapter 28, again, an example of God judging and chastising. But the thing is, never forget that this kind of judgment is the mercy of God. It's God's mercy. You know, in Hosea chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Israel is joined to idols, let them alone. That was referring to the northern kingdom, which God essentially just let alone. And, and you know, that that verse, you know, I, I read actually this morning in my devotion time, it just it makes you shudder that that God would actually, that I would reach a state of rebellion that is just so long and so bad that finally God says, let him alone. The judgments of God are merciful. When you're in a state of rebellion in your life and he is making whatever, the sky of your life fall down on you, that's mercy. What's, what would be a thousand times worse, the reason it's mercy is because the alternative is for God to let you alone. And so, you know, what actually happens to Uzziah here uh, is an act of mercy. And so, let's go into chapter 27. It says, Jotham, that was his son, was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned... 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Uzziah had done, although he did not enter uh, into the temple of the Lord. But still the people acted corruptly. That's an interesting verse that we should focus in on. It says he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Uzziah had done, although he did not enter the temple of the Lord. But still the people acted corruptly. Now some people think that what that verse means is that he stayed away from the temple. That his father had made this terrible mistake of actually going in and burning, trying to burn incense. And his reaction to it was, well, I'm not going to have anything to do with that temple. I don't want to go in there and get torched or whatever, leprosy myself. And the reason they think that that is, you know, some people think that when it says, although he did not enter the temple of the Lord, what it really means is he didn't try to go in and be a priest. But others think that, no, he didn't go in the temple at all. And the reason they think that is the next little sentence there, but still the people acted corruptly. There's this belief that, you know, this guy Jotham, that he was sort of scared off by the experience of his father and he didn't go into the temple of the Lord. And what happened is the people followed his example. They didn't get involved with the temple either and they began to um, act corruptly in their own life. And you know, this very thing can happen with sort of in Christianity, someone may say, well, I saw what happened to my mom and dad. You know, they really got, they grew up in church, but they really got burned, so I'm not going to go. And it's a shame because what, if that was the case, it's a shame because what Jotham really should have considered was maybe it wasn't about the temple. It was really my father. that He had sinned. And some, sometimes we, you know, people have a, such a, a view of their parents, which is even unrealistic. It's inflated. They're, you know, mom, dad, they can't do wrong. And, and, and instead of really looking at their lives and saying, you know, that was really wrong of them uh, to, whatever, leave church or be bitter at the church, and maybe it was their issue and not the church's issue. And so... It could very well be that Jotham, you know, when his dad was isolated in leprosy, went to his father Uzziah, and Uzziah was complaining bitterly about the priests who basically kicked him out of, of the temple, and even worse, blamed them for the leprosy. How important it is, you know, with our children really just in our lives generally, godly Repentance. It's not pushing off or the problems of our circumstances on anyone else, saying, "You know, I was the issue, it was me <laughs> you know it was I was the issue it was the reason that uh, I was struck with leprosy, just taking full responsibility uh, for our uh, mistakes, and uh, in appearance, I think that we make a big mistake. Uh, criticizing the church, putting down preachers, the music, worship, you know. Uh, We need to honor the Lord. We need to honor the, the leadership in churches. We need to honor the people of God and not be critical of them. Lest our children listen to our words and, you know, it's like water just begins to erode and erode and erode. And don't be surprised when they're 16 or 17 and they bolt. You know, if if, if you're constantly complaining about what the church should be like or this problem or that problem. And so, Uzziah, I think there was a very good chance that there's a lot of truth in this, that his son Jotham saw that bitterness against the temple. So he didn't go in. The problem is, is that, He was a leader, and people followed him. and and it could be that they followed his example and didn't uh, enter into temple worship, and, and so it says they acted corruptly. Verse three: He built the upper gate of the house of the Lord, and he built extensively on the wall of Ophel. Moreover, he built cities in the mountains of Judah. In the forest, he built fortresses and towers. So, a lot like his father, he's he's building up the kingdom. He also fought with the king of the Ammonites and defeated them. The people of Ammon gave him in that year 100 talents of silver, 10,000 cores of wheat, and 10,000 of barley. The people of Ammon paid uh, this to him in the second and third year also. Verse 6, I love this verse. It says, so Jotham became mighty because he prepared his ways before the Lord his God. And so again, the single rule of prosperity preparing your ways before the Lord your God making sure before you make any decision in your life put it before the Lord prepare your, wa- your ways before the Lord not trying to lay hold and sort of take charge of our own life allowing the Lord to remain in charge even if it winds up we wind up having to wait to wait on him and not running ahead of what the Lord wants. Jotham became mighty because he prepared his ways before the Lord. Now the rest of the acts of Jotham and all his uh, wars and his ways, indeed they are, uh, they are written in the books of the kings of Israel and Judah. And he was 25 years old when he became king and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. So Jotham rested with his fathers and they buried him in the city of David. Then Ahaz, his son, reigned in his place. Now, Ahaz, his name at least in English is really similar to Ahab. And although there were one or two kings who may have competed for this dishonor, he was among the most wicked kings that the South Judah ever knew. It says he was 20 years old when he became king and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem and he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord as his father David had done, for he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and made molded images for the Baals. He burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom, which or Gehenna, which or Hell or Hades, and burned the children in the fire, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places on the hills and under every green tree. And so this man Ahaz, picking up from or drawing from the religions, the pagan religions of the world uh, of, of the nations around him, had the audacity to offer his own. Kids his own children, on the what you would call the the incandescent or burning hot arms of idols, and so when it says here it it, it he burned the children in the fire that's because they had these idols, and they would heat up the uh, the idols made of brass or whatever, and they would actually just burn them, place the children on the arms of these idols. And, um, you know, it's just an unbelievable, unbelievable, barbaric act. And the thing, though, when you see this is that you do begin to, to wonder, because to offer your kids and burn them alive, it does take an enormous amount of passion and sincerity and zeal. I mean, certainly it's directed in the wrong direction. But there was obviously, he thought he was accomplishing something by doing this. And and you know, just because you're sincere doesn't make it right. (laughs) Sometimes people say, well, you know, these people are sincere. Uh, Let's not be too hard on them. Well, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And so whatever a person's intentions may be, it's truth that really, really matters. And so when a woman says, well, I'm pregnant, but you know, if I have this child now, it's really gonna basically bludgeon my career. I won't be able to have a career. I'll be living off welfare someday. And she has an abortion. Good intentions, maybe, but she's sacrificing a life at the altar of materiality. Thank God for the grace of Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ. There's complete forgiveness and grace there. And today, just the, you know, fathers going and spending 80 hours a week, whatever, and ignoring their kids or fathering kids and taking off and saying, you know, I'm not going to be responsible for them. They're burning them on the arms of material success. And so, you know, we do... What I never want to do in this church when we're reading the Bible is just say, oh, that wicked man. We need to look at our own hearts, our own society, our own nation. In our heart, we have... There's that seedbed which we inherited from Adam and Eve, a gene pool, which is where we're capable of doing the very same things that this man Ahaz was doing. But you never get away with this. Verse 5. Therefore the Lord his God delivered him into the hands of the king of Syria. I mean, this this guy, Ahaz. You read this one chapter, and you're like, no one that I can think of other than Ahab, did God do more to try to get his intention. And as we'll see, it just did not work. This guy, I I mean, the Lord repeatedly tried to get this guy's attention. First, he delivers him into the hand of Syria. They defeated him and carried away a great multitude of them as captives and brought them to Damascus. Then he was also delivered into the hands of the king of Israel, who defeated him with a great slaughter. Uh, and, and so he's uh, delivered there into, also into the, uh, the, you know, the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, which by now, remember, God is having nothing to do with them. As I read the verse before, leave them alone. Leave them alone in their sin. And the children of Israel, verse 8, uh, carried away captive of their brethren 200,000 women, sons and daughters, and they also took away much spoil from them and brought the, the spoil to Samaria. Verse 9, this is really interesting. But a prophet of the Lord was there, whose name was Oded. And he went out before the army that came to Samaria, and he said to them, Look, because the Lord God of your fathers was angry with Judah, he has delivered them into your hand, but you have killed them in a rage that reaches up to heaven. And now you propose to force the children of Judah and Jerusalem to be your male and female slaves, but are you not also guilty before the Lord your God? In other words, look, yes, I used you to as out of an act of mercy to judge them and to punish them and try to get this king's attention. But now you're taking it way too far. You're going to make these people your slaves, your cousins? You're going to make them your slaves? And so it says there in verse 11, Now hear me therefore and return the captives whom you have taken captive from your brethren for the fierce wrath of the Lord is upon you. So as evil as the northern kingdom may have been, they took this very seriously, and they did, uh, the leaders uh, gathered together, and in verse th- 13, um, he says you, he, the, the leaders go to the people and say, you shall not bring the captives here for we, are, we have already offended the Lord. You intend to add to our sins and to our guilt, for our guilt is great, and there is fierce wrath, uh, fierce wrath against Israel. Remember, although the the north has, has pretty much been totally given over to over the isles. There was a small remnant. Remember, Elijah saying, God, I'm the only one left. And God says, no, there's not. There's a remnant of 7,000. So there was a small remnant. apparently these are among them that actually still uh, listen to God. And so, verse 14, so the armed men left the captives and the spoil before the leaders and all the assembly. Then the men who were uh, designated by name rose up and took the captives. And from the spoil they clothed all who were naked among them, dressed them and gave them sandals, gave them food and drink and anointed them. And they uh, let all the feeble ones ride on donkeys. So, like, this is what I would call godly repentance. I mean, they totally turn around and they, and, and they repent and they even bless the people. And so now, you know, the Lord has tried out of mercy to get Ahaz's attention by the the Assyrians, one to slaughter him, the Israelites, one to slaughter him. He's still, he's, He's still clueless. He's still in his rebellion. He refuses to to turn to the Lord. God doesn't give up on him. Verse 16, at that same time, King Ahaz sent to the king of Assyria to help him. For again, the Edomites had come, attacked Judah, and carried away captives. So now it's the Edomites, And, and, and they come in and slaughter them. And, and and then at verse 18 it says, And then the Philistines invaded the cities of the lowland of the south of Judah and had taken. And so now the Philistines, so God is trying to get this man's attention. Verse 19, For the Lord brought Judah low because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he had encouraged moral decline in Judah and had been continually unfaithful to the Lord. And also, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came to him and distressed him and did not assist him. In other words, he paid the king, verse 16, of Assyria to come and help him. The king comes, takes his money, but just basically says, thanks for your money and goodbye, I'm not going to help you. And so he's, it, this king is reaching out to other sources for assistance it, and they are basically turning him back. None of it's working, but he is, it says in verse 22, Now in the time of his distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. This is that King Ahaz. Boy, I hate to be the guy who has a, a verse in the Bible that says, This is that King Ahaz. This is that Steve Cole. Please no. I mean you know this is that King Ahaz. And then he says in verse 23, it says in verse 23 amazingly for he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus which had defeated him because the gods of the kings of Syria uh, help him. This is what he says. Because the gods of the kings of Syria help them I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and Israel. And then, you know, eventually... I mean, look at verse 24. And so Ahaz gathered the articles of the house of God, cut in pieces the articles of the house of God, and shut up the doors of the house of the Lord, and made for himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. So he shut up, he boarded up the ch- the temple. And, 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 and he's just desperate, trying to find some way to relieve himself of this incredible distress. Verse 27, he winds up dying. He rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of Jerusalem, but they did not bring him into the tombs of the kings of Israel. And so uh, here you have this guy who is just doing everything but going to the Lord to try to bring comfort to his life, to ease the pain of his life. And this is one of the most painful things to see in a in a person's life, a man or woman's life, where there is all kinds of stuff coming to, uh, in their life, just just like just like here, where you have the king of Edom on one side of their life uh, attacking them, you have the king of Assyria, the king of Syria, the king of Israel, and it's and, and yet they don't t- turn to the Lord, and they think, well, maybe it's more money I need, or maybe it's a better relationship I need. Or maybe it's just more friends. Uh, and no. It's a simple relationship with Jesus. That's the solution. And, um, uh, you know, in, in verse 22 again says, Now in the time of his distress, King Ahaz became increasingly uh, unfaithful to the Lord. And, and, and this is the reaction that I see um, from some. that That the worst things get in their life the worse their behavior gets. And and they just try so hard, just reaching out uh, for uh, anything. But what did we uh, read a while back? Uh, Actually, on Sunday morning, about a few weeks ago, the Bible says that the Lord will not strive with man forever. Uh, Genesis, I think, chapter 6. What does God say? My spirit will not strive with man forever. And this is a classic example you know, God sends the, the Syrians to him. He sends the Israelites to, to him to, to punish him. He sends the Assyrians. He sends the Edomites. He sends the Philistines. And still, at the very end, what does he do? He boards up the house of the Lord. He steals the stuff and makes little idols all around the city. So, what, you know, one of the most chilling verses of, of the Bible where God says, Israel has clung to his I- its idols, leave them alone. So finally, God leaves them alone. He never repents. And, and, you know, he's given this dishonorable fu- uh, funeral. He's not, he, you know, he doesn't, uh, he's not buried with the other kings there. He just, it, it says there, all his behavior, it says, uh, became a ruin, verse 23, uh, of him and of all of Israel. Now, lest we end this lesson on a depressing note. The last sentence of verse 27 says, Then Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. Eleven chapters of the Old Testament are dedicated to Hezekiah's life. He was a wonderful king. A magnificent king. Now, this is just a picture of the grace and mercy of God, how someone like Hezekiah can be raised by this guy, Ahaz, and become the man that Hezekiah became. Tremendous revival in Israel, tremendous prosperity, and, you know, you don't necessarily want to compare righteousness, but clearly, even when you put him next to someone like Uzziah, Hezekiah just towers you know, it, you know, in the Bible, and he's just one of the greatest kings of uh, of Judah. And, and there's First Kings talks uh, about him. Uh, chronicles, the book of Isaiah, uh, chronicles his life. The Lord invests eleven chapters uh, to this this one man. It's interesting sometimes with the Bible how much space the Holy Spirit decided to dedicate towards certain things. I always thought it was interesting that the apostle James, there's a single verse about his death. It just says, And Herod slew him. That's it. And it goes on and starts talking about something else for whatever reason. God only wanted us to, that one sentence. It seemed like it was a huge thing there in the book of Acts, but one sentence. Well he went to be with the Lord. Why do you need to hear more, you know, about what happened? <laughs> But Hezekiah, there's eleven chapters, and uh, and so we will um, we will uh, take up his uh, the the his study next week. But before we do, I just I just want you to reflect on this this week, and and maybe also read ahead here in Second Chronicles. Look at verse three. It says, "In the first year of his reign, Hezekiah's reign, in the first month." he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then everything will be added unto you. Everything that the world is running after, it will all be added unto you. And so did when he got into power, did he build his palace? You see a lot of the other kings, even good kings, they went out and they consolidated power by immediately going out and fighting here and there and building fortresses. No, he doesn't do that. He, the first, his first act of king is opening the doors of the Lord and repairing uh, his, his temple. And that, you know, it's just, I just encourage you, there's this concept of first fruits in the Bible. When it comes to our money, the first fruits, the Bible says, belong to the Lord first day of the week. Every day of the week belongs to the Lord, but there's a a special consecration the first day of the week. The first part of the day, Proverbs says that um, I love them that love me and that they seek me early. He that seeks me early shall find me. So dedicating that first part of the day uh, to the Lord. And you know if you're feeling dry if you if you're feeling like um sort of washed up I ask this to you are you giving the first portion of your day of your money of your life of to the Lord your time are you are you setting it aside setting it apart and really dedicating it to the lord i know that um i'm not a morning person so i get a second wind at like 12 o'clock at night and so this was a real struggle for me and lord really did bless me for a number of years just i had my bible study every every night at the close of the day but by his grace (laughs) over time i was able to um to start a start my devotion time in the morning it's Been like that for many, many years now. But the Bible does say the manna can't comes in the morning, and it does say that there's only manna is good for one day. Can't read the Word of God uh, today and expect it to go into tomorrow because there's fresh manna tomorrow morning. And you know you hear this expression when you're you're low on gas. Well, you're running on fumes. Of course, you know that. No one ever runs on fumes. You can't. You got to have gas in your tank. How important it is for there for us to have the word in the tank for that day. So important. But I love this picture at the beginning of this uh, beginning of this king's life. In the first year of his reign, verse three. In the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. And then, so we're going to be. Uh, reading more about his life. Okay. Praise God. So, now I would like to ask Yarrick and Renata to come up. So, Yarrick and Renata have been with us since uh, the church started and a number of years with the Bible study in our living room and They've been called to Houston, Texas. Where's your Where's your hat, Yorick? I I don't get it. Oh, it's in the truck. It's been packed. Hey, Greg, can we have a Can we Can we have a mic up here? Can you have a mic? So when uh, folks on our ministry team are you know moved on. You know, by the Lord, and we do like to uh pray for them, and Yarick and Renata have served faithfully in very very many ways, and we just love you guys so much and uh just want to pray for them now. The Bible says Jesus says that he goes before a sheep, and that that the Lord would go before him, prepare the way for him. And use them and uh, uh use them in in Houston and I think the Bible Belt needs missionaries from Boston that's what, that's what I think so let's send them out in that way and uh remember them we're I'm again bringing up people so you can I know you know their faces but just remember them up here so you can pray for them because so it is a huge transition uh, in you know in their lives if Renata, not if you thought Boston was different than Poland. You just wait uh, till you get to, t- to Texas. But um, I'm going to call uh, Scott and Greg up here, so we'll pray for you. And then if you'd like, you can share with us, share your heart, both of you. Father, I just thank you uh, for Yark and Renata and just the blessing they have been to us, Lord. And Lord Jesus, we ask, and we know that you are faithful to uh, prepare the way for them, Lord, and and cut out that path. Uh, Father, I just pray. I know that uh, Yark has a a job down there to do in Houston, but I know the reason you're you want him uh, down there, Lord, is, is not for a job as much to 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 really affect your kingdom there. And the same with Renata, Lord. And I just pray, Father, that you would use them there. Please guide them to the church that you want them to be in. Please, Lord, we ask that you take care of all the details. Please stir up our hearts to pray for them, Lord. And I just pray, Father, that you would just use them and and bless them. And, Father, they can serve, Lord, and hold up the arms of uh, the pastor of whatever church they're going to be in. and Lord, we just, just praise you, praise you for them, praise you for the relationship that we've had. And Lord, uh, we thank you, Lord, that um, I'm sure we probably will see them again sometime, but Lord, just for the confidence of knowing that although they're leaving, we will be all one family in heaven, praising your holy name, Lord. And we thank you for that. We just f- thank you for the family of God, Lord. And we thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, do you have something to to share for us? Me first. Yeah. yeah.
1: Hello. Hello. <laughs> oh, by the way, we are moving. You know that we are not being <laughs> created to work physically like that. <laughs> Um, well, I've been in this church for almost seven years and uh, before I came here and uh, married Yarek, I was saved for one year and I was baby, very baby. I would say I was embryo Christian. (laughs) And all I grew, you know, for those who know me uh, for these years, um, you know who I was and who I am now and all this growth that I had is only because we were in this church. and I just thank you so much for that. And it's been... Oh yeah, super. It's been really um, wonderful to serve here. And I learned how to take really pleasure to serve people. Um, and... Uh, you know, God is doing wonderful things. And in this last couple of days that we were packing our stuff and we we're boxing, like, you know, you want to pray that every single thing that is in your house has a cubicle shape to fit in the box. And nothing is. After you packed all the cubicle stuff, everything is weird. And it doesn't want to fit. And it's just so frustrating. And, you know, in this couple of last days, there were so many people that helped us, taking our children away, um, giving us. Free hands to just do the, the work that um, wasn't a pleasure to do, but you know, I don't know what I would do without you guys here. And uh, f- what I wanted to say for this this last couple of days, I I I haven't been praying really, um, like I wouldn't sit and pray for all day to you know to remember what i want what i want to thank and like this kind of stuff but each single prayer that i had throughout the day was answered like almost right away and it was it was really there were so many miracles to work out all the details that they they seemed not but then you know it's just it's just so just weird and wonderful so it hurts, guys, to leave you. But hi- I have absolute peace that there is there is a church family that will take us there. It it really hurts to leave this place, but I am happy that that um, you know when winter hits, I, I I'm sure that someone will come and visit and uh, bring some of um, of this church uh, to to K.D. It's next to Houston. That's where we we'll be living. Thank you, guys. And and you, you keep us in your prayers, please.
2: Sorry. It's two days of packing <laughs> and uh, moving boxes. And Friday night I was, I don't know, every time Steve talks about work and stuff like that, I left work uh, at uh, midnight. So, But that was just, you know, Fixing everything before I move. Shut, you know, closing off my office, updating my database, and so on. But um, I don't know. I'm doing stuff at work is one thing, but uh, closing off uh, and saying goodbye—that's uh, something I'm not going to do here. I'm not going to say goodbye because, you know, I'm just saying see you guys for now. Because um, you know, our hearts are here, even though our our ministry just moved to a different place, and I think it's a it's a more challenging ministry in, in this in the case that you know Steve's warned me for years. He goes, you know, when you get down south, it's very different. You know, everybody's a Christian down there. So one thing um, that I know for a fact here that God has blessed me is with sound teaching and uh, uh, sound teaching and meaning. Discerning teaching too, so in that aspect, you know, uh, I I can go into a place that calls itself the Bible Belt and be able to discern to what is true, what is right, and test all things like the God's Word says. So, so I just pray that you know, even we did so, you know, the things we did here, the way we served. We just hope God could just bless that and we could even serve more and uh, we could be a light to, you know, the folks down there because, you know, one of the fears I've always had is uh, when you read in the Bible, and I've said this to a few people, when Jesus talks to those folks and he says to them that uh, it's better to be cold than it is to be warm because I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. And that's the words of Christ. So just dealing with all those warm people down there is going to be a challenge. So to be a Christian, I think you've got to really stand out. So I just pray for uh, prayer in that area. Uh, Steve knows I'm pretty bold in that sense. And he one time told me I have a gift of evangelism, and I just hope that uh, gift uh, continues to burn. And that I could be salt and light. And uh, we're still not sure which Calvary Chapel we're going to be with. Uh, but I think the one we want to be with is the one that needs uh, servants. And, uh, you know, wherever the Lord leads us, that's where we're going to go. And and um, we want to kind of, I was telling stephen we want to bring like a, a spirit of Calvary Boston down there. And that's that, because I've heard from, you know, strangers. For us, it's normal that we have all these people that love each other and serve each other and do all that, and it's just normal. But when a stranger comes in the door and they say, what's up with this church? I've never met people that are so loving and and, uh, do all this stuff and serve each other and help each other. Um, I say to myself, wait a second, don't they do that at all the churches where you came from? So, Well, if they don't, Renato and I are going to bring that spirit that we experience here. That spirit of servanthood, uh, loving and and um, and serving that body, because that's our priority—the body of Christ—and then wh- wherever we go in the workplace or or wherever in the neighborhood, t-ball, football, you know, whatever, uh, we're going to be salt and light, and we just ask for your blessing because it's it's. Um, Maybe it's not the cold place like it is here, but, uh, it's a different challenge. And, uh, I just pray that we can be used mightily and, uh, just pray also for my little boys that, uh, you know, that, uh, we continue and we make sure that we raise them up, not as just Christian cultural, but, you know, little men and men that become servants of God and, uh and uh, serve him and grow up to be, uh, you know, like some of the young men that I met in this church that have been an inspiration to me. Uh, I was always thinking about how blessed those men are that they didn't do the things that I did, but in the sense that I could, you know, kind of give them my testimony and tell them all the things that I did when I was 21 and some of the consequences. God forgave the sins that I've had, but there's consequences of it, you know, and it's just—it's not worth it. And you guys know who who you are out there. So, so I, I just really—I love you, young guys, and and especially the men, of course, um, the young men. And uh, I just hope my boys grow up to be just like you guys—young, uh, righteous men that love God and serve Him. And um, I just want to. I'm sorry, I'm talking so long, but just you're not going to have to put up with me for much longer. <laughs> I just want to. I just want to thank our pastor Steve and and pastor Scott and pastor Greg um, just for for the fine teaching, meaning the fact that they've not um, you know they've always taught the straight and narrow and discerning teaching and and just being the um, the pastors, that they were called by God uh, because so many of us uh, are sheep that lose our ways at times and we all need to get that staff once in a while. So thank you so much, Steve and Scott, and bless this church and bless the leadership. Thank you.
0: Okay, praise God for the family of God so if you're going to be joining us with prayer we 're going to be uh, praying for Gospel of Asia this week and